Welcome to another sermon from New Bethel Baptist Church. I hope that this sermon will help you to better know who God is, challenge you to grow in your faith, and compel you to go and proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ. If you want to turn to John chapter 17, if you have elected to stay in here with us, John chapter 17 verses 1 through 5 is we're going to be today. Um, and so as we have finished up this Easter season, it's always just a very refreshing time. It's a, it's a, it's a life-giving time in a very real sense. Um, and we, we think about that. It's just exciting to see what God has been doing in the church with things like Children's Church and all the other ways that we're trying to grow and to follow what God is, is doing or where He's leading us to go. And so I wanted to kind of take a moment, it's going to be three messages, and then just focus in on the mission of who we're trying to be. And you've heard parts of this, and, and I've already preached on this before, but we're breaking it down a little further. And so anytime you look at any kind of organization in a business, uh, most oftentimes in churches too, you have things that are like a vision statement and, and a mission statement. And, and so we're going to look at our mission statement. The vision is kind of where you're going. It's the purpose, what you're trying to be. It is what you hope to be in the future. And so if we're thinking about the vision, it's very clear. God gives us that, right? To go therefore, make disciples of all nations, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, right? It's the great commission, and so our vision long-term is to really be, if we're going to break it down into three words like we're doing this, to be a church that disciples, equips, and sins. Okay, so long-term, I want us to be a church that people can come into this church, maybe some of the kids or youth we have that can become disciples following Christ. They're equipped and then sent out. How wonderful and how many churches have you known that they're a church that you know of that sends pastors, they send missionaries to do gospel work beyond even their church, beyond even their community. And that's what long-term vision-wise, that's what I think we should strive to be, a church that fulfills the Great Commission. But how do we do that? And that's our mission statement. And have you heard these words before? Know, grow, and go, right? And so what we're going to focus on these things for is so that we can think about it. And I want, if someone asks you, what's your church about? What does your church do? I want these three words to come to your mind. Know, grow, and go. In the most simple form, it's know God, grow in faith, and go make disciples. But we're going to break down how I think these three words really, if we break them down, can really help us to see a holistic picture of what our lives are supposed to be, our, our church's life is supposed to be, and how this will help us to be who God calls us to be. So we're going to be, we've really been in John for the past while. I really love John. It's one of my favorite gospels. If, you've never, if you're new to reading the Bible, I think John is a great place to start. Um, but John chapter 17 Verses 1 through 5 is we're going to start today. Uh, we're going to be looking at some other passages we go through. Um, but as we look at this, we see Jesus at what they call the high priestly prayer. Okay, So Jesus is praying, and he's, he's having this high priestly prayer. And we're going to look, starting in verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son. This, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you have given me, gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory I had with you before the world Existed. Let's go to the Lord in prayer as we continue this morning. 
Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that we can look at your word, we can really understand what it means to know you and to know what you've called us to do. God, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that we can understand uh, what it means to truly know you. And Lord, that you would just convict us in how we should serve you and how we should follow you because of that knowledge. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the first thing we see here is in this passage, really kind of sandwiched right in the middle, is what it means to know God. And that's the first thing we talk about. Know God. Grow in faith. Go make disciples. To know God. What does it mean to know God? He says it very clearly here. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Any relationship that we have requires that you know who that person is. Right? There's a lot of people that you might know about, but do you know them? The, the Bible is clear that a relationship with God, a saving faith, it ter- right? Uh, John 3.16, that you will have eternal life. Whoever believes in him will have eternal life, not perish. How do you have that eternal life? Because you know God. You have a relationship with him because of what Jesus has done for you. The Bible is clear. A relationship with God requires that you know who God is. And there's a distinction here that you know who God is, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you've sent. It's very important as we get into this part and as we think about the the landscape that we live in today, that we understand that there is one true living God. There's not a multiplicity of gods. There are not a a, a pantheon. It is not pick and choose. It is not a a, a a build-a-bear workshop when it comes to God. God has revealed himself to us and revealed who he is. And, and this God has a name and makes a distinction for himself in the Bible. And we see many names used for God in, in the original languages that describe him, right? And you've even, we've even sing songs that use these names like El Shaddai, right? You've maybe heard the name El Shaddai, which is Lord God Almighty, or Adonai, which means Lord Master But when we think about God, the God of the Bible, the God that made a covenant with Abraham, the God that sent Jesus, that God describes himself with a name in the Bible. And that name, you're going to get a little bit of fancy words here that you can remember. If you want to go and you want to impress somebody, you can try to remember these parts. It's not very important. The the tetragrammaton, which means four letters, in Hebrew... Yod, hey, vav, hey. And you're going to see some, Sam, it's some weird looking letters. That's the slide you're supposed to go to. Okay? So this is yod, hey, and it goes from right to left, not left to right. Yod, hey, vav, hey. And in Hebrew, there are no vowels. And so roughly in English, that's Y-W-H-W. Okay? And so you may have heard this term Yahweh. Or some people have taken it more, the more Germanic translation of Jehovah. That's both a representation of the Tetragrammaton, which is the yod heh vav This is the personal revealed name of God. And you know when this is used in the Bible, most Bibles anyway, because when you look in the Old Testament, you see L-O-R-D, all capitals. That is the personal name of God. That is Yahweh. It's important to distinguish, distinguish who we believe in because people will say they believe in God as an abstract concept, but they don't mean the God of the Bible. They don't mean Yahweh, the one who we see written about in the Bible. I saw just recently a, a popular actor that was 
talking about, uh, he was asked some questions in an interview about uh, whether he was religious. He said, I'm not religious. And, you know, many people will say that I'm not religious. It's a relationship, that kind of terminology. But that's not what he was talking about. So I'm not religious. He's like, oh, so you don't believe in, in God or anything like that? He said, well, you don't have to be religious to believe in God. I, I believe in myself, and I believe in God, and I think that's kind of the same. There are many people that would believe in a new age type of religious mystical, spiritual thing. And, and they believe in God, but God is not the God of the Bible. They believe in something, but it is not the God of the Bible. It has become a, you know, we, we know in the, from the Bible that God made us in his image, but people have begun to refashion and create a God in their own image rather than worshiping God for who he has revealed himself to be. And I would really challenge us to think that, you know, we look at the Old Testament and we see all of these people that were worshiping false idols. They were, they were raising up false gods and, and we really are not that far or that different from the people in the Old Testament that we see doing that. There are people that have fashioned these own ideas of God. There are people that claim to be in Christian churches that their idea and representation of who God is is so far from the Bible that they are not worshiping the God of the Bible. They have fashioned God to be in their own image. So we have to make sure that if we want to know God, we know God as he has revealed himself to be. He is not something that is an abstract concept. He is the creator. He is almighty. He is all-powerful. And the crazy thing about that is that we can know him. We can have a relationship with God. We, have a, we know God by faith through the work of Christ. It is not that we have, are able to petition him and, and gain access by our own merit or doing enough. You think about that. In our world, if you want to get someone to know you, you want to have a relationship with them, you have to do something to gain their attention. right? If you have a, a prospective person that you want to have a relationship with, if you're dating or something like that, you have to do something that's going to catch their attention. Maybe that's your baseline attractiveness level. Maybe it's a, a smooth pickup line. You got to do something to gain their attention. And then, and then you go on a date and you got to, to, to woo them, to, to entertain them, to show some way that you're going to build this relationship. God establishes and connects us to him. He is the one who does all of the work to initiate and make possible our ability to know him. And that's done through the work of Christ that we celebrated last week. And we're able to know him, the Bible's very clear, by faith. A righteousness by faith, a, a connection to God, a reconciliation, a making right because of what Jesus has done. Now, I want to make it very clear here. Knowing God, knowing him is very different than knowing about him. Knowing God is very different than knowing about him. We can know a lot about a lot of different people. There are people in particular that are really good with sports. They can tell you every stat of, of their favorite player, their favorite team. They don't know those people. They know about them. Knowing knowledge of God is intellectual. It is, it is a, a, a thing that we can remember facts. We could even cite Bible verses. And I, I shared before that many, of, many great scholars of the Bible are not believers. They know about God, but they don't know him. Knowing God is relational. I want you to think about how you would say that you know someone. It's like, oh, do you, do you know Michael Jordan? It's like, I know about him. Someone were to ask you, how, someone were to ask me, how do you know Jada? Well, that's my wife. It's founded upon the relationship that I have with her, not upon the things I know about her. Oh well, she's a she's a pretty nice person. Yeah, I, I know these things. No, it's the relationship that is foundational. Knowing God requires 
faith, believing in him. Here's the thing. God reveals himself to us. He shows us things about himself. We we can see there's historical records. There's things that indicate that, that there's truth, but there's still faith that is involved in believing in God. And specifically, faith in Christ and the work of Christ that he's done for you. So how do you know him? To know him in a saving way, the Bible is very clear. You have to acknowledge your sin. You have to understand your relationship to him. You understand yourself. Only, the only way you can know yourself is to know God. To know when you realize there's a holy God, then you realize the sin you have in your life. You have to acknowledge your sin. You have to believe in Jesus and you confess him as your Lord and Savior. And so when you do that, when you go through this process of entering in relationship with God, then you know God. And the thing about it is that only you can know if you know God. You can come down front and you, or maybe not, you know, in, in a church in your past, you can go down front, talk to the pastor, pray a prayer. You can be baptized. Only you know if you have a relationship with God if you know him. Now, there is evidence of knowing God. The Bible is very clear about that. 1 John 2, 4 through 6 says this, whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word in him, truly the love of God is perfected. By this, we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. And this is echoes what Jesus said in John 14, 5, or John 14, 15. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. I'll make it very clear here. The order of operations is very important. If you've ever done math, you, you, you know the importance of the order of operations. You start to do some addition before you did the multiplication, and you're not going to get the right answer. We know God because of what Jesus has done and faith in what he has done, faith in him. We know him by that. But if you know him, there will be evidence. Because if you know him, you will walk as he walks. You will obey him. And so if you know him, you will obey him. That doesn't mean perfection. That doesn't mean there's not going to be moments of, of wandering. And, and 1 John even talks about that right before that in this passage. It says, if we sin, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ, that will inter, intervene for us and on our behalf. But if we know him, it's a death to life. We talked about last week, death to life, new creation. You no longer walk the ways that you once walked. You walk in obedience to Christ. And so here's the thing that we have to deal with in ourselves, because only you can know if you know him. If you claim to know God, but the evidence you feel like is lacking in your life or if you see it lacking in the life of someone else, there's only two options here. You know him and you're living in disobedience, or you don't know him. Either you know God and you know you should follow him and you're not. That's a problem. What do you do? Repent and be obedient. Or you don't know him at all. There are people that will think they know God because they know about him. They will think they know God because at one point in time, they may have done what someone told them to do, but it was not something that got to their heart. It stopped at their head. So if you don't see evidence in your life, you need to ask those questions for yourself. Knowing God is the only true way that we will know 
ourselves. Because when you enter a relationship with him, you begin to get a clear picture of who you are. Just how much he saved you from. Isn't isn't that the, the crazy thing? That God will convict you and save you, but then it's only after you're saved that you realize, oh man, I really did need that, didn't I? I really was a person in need of salvation, and I didn't even realize the full extent of it until later. We could become aware of our need for God. But there's something even bigger that comes from a relationship with God because this is not the end. This is the beginning. Through knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves, we can then know what your purpose is. You can know your purpose. Everyone in life is looking for purpose. Everywhere they go, everyone, everything they do, they're looking for a reason to be, a reason to exist. And we find purpose in all sorts of things, in our status, in relationship, in our work, in our families, whatever it might be. People are looking for purpose, a a reason to exist. And it's only when you know God and you know the one who made you, you're able to figure out what he created you to do. You know, one of the most popular verses about purpose, and if I were to just ask you that, most of you are going to tell me Jeremiah 29.11. That's what most people go to. We're going to look at that, and we're going to talk about it for a moment. Jeremiah 29.11, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. So let's give some context here. And this is what we have to be really faithful with when we read the Bible. Jeremiah 29.11 is not a promise for you. If you read Jeremiah 29, 1 through 10, you're going to figure out that the Israelites have been in captivity in Babylon, and he's saying, hey, I'm going to restore you. I have plans for you that are better than this. Now, through this promise to them, we we, we see a revealing and a knowledge of God's character. So God does have purpose. He does have plans. And as a general statement, you can read that and it just have to make it sure it's framed right. The Bible is not a list of sayings that you can just directly apply to your life. But you learn about who God is. And so the principle remains that God has plans. And I think it might even be better to look at the one who wrote those words and his calling where, he revealed, where his purpose is revealed to him. So we're going to turn back from not Jeremiah 29, but Jeremiah chapter 1, verses 4 through 8. Now the word of the Lord came to me, saying, Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And I said, Ah, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak, for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for I... For to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am with you to deliver you, declares the Lord. I think we can see a better example of understanding your purpose in the calling of Jeremiah. Because I want you to see here too, you know, notice, L-O-R-D, all capitals. We know who's talking. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. Again, he's talking to Jeremiah. Not to you, not to me. But what do we see? God had a purpose and a plan for his life. Now here's the deal. We can see a better example that might directly apply to our life in the New Testament. In Ephesians 2.10. And you know this one because it was our VBS verse last year. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, 
which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. This is a much more general statement to New Testament believers. God has a plan and a purpose for your life. If you are in relationship with Christ, if you are a Christian, he has a plan and a purpose for your life. Now here's the deal. You might not be Billy Graham. You might not be a person that's going to be remembered and, and have a claim and be famous. But that doesn't matter. Because the purpose is what? What did Jeremiah do? Not to be a prophet of Jeremiah. To be a prophet of God. To proclaim God to people. But here's what is very clear. There is a purpose for all believers. And so I want you to understand there is a general purpose for all believers. This is a purpose that every single believer, if you are in here and you say, I believe in Jesus, I am saved, I know that, I know that I know God, this is part of your purpose, the general purpose. We'll get to that. And then there's a specific purpose that we can find within each of our lives. So the general purpose is this, that, that all people, all, all believers would become disciples and that all believers would make disciples, that you would follow Christ, and you would lead others to follow Christ. That's the general purpose of all believers. So becoming a disciple means we worship him, we learn about him, and we obey him in our lives. And making disciples means we share with others about the hope we found in Christ and lead them to the same hope. Now the specific purpose are the roles God calls us to play and the specific tasks that he calls us to do. And here's the deal. We all have these things. We are all called to play a role for God. Sometimes these are lifelong purposes. Sometimes these are for seasons of our life. And sometimes they're in an instant. It's a momentary thing. And I want to give you an example I think that will help clarify what I'm talking about when I talk about this. So I want you to imagine you have a conversation with someone. And you say, so what do you do for a living? I'm an employee. Okay. Where? I work, I work at Toyota doesn't really break it down. There's lots of, I mean, maybe you could even work at a Toyota dealership. I mean, what, so what do you do? I work in HR. Okay, so what does that mean? What do you do? I answer emails. Okay, and then you break it down further and they finally tell you, well, I deal with conflict and complaints between employees. That's their specific role. It took a long time to get to what their purpose in that company is. I think that would be a pretty frustrating conversation for one thing, but I think too often... As Christians, this is the responses that we give when we talk to people. So what do you believe? I'm a Christian. What does that mean to you? Well, I go to this church. Well, what do you do there? Well, we, we sing and we, we listen to a sermon. Is that all? Like, what do you do? Oh, I serve in this way sometimes. Too often, we, we think about our purpose of what God calls us to do and what we're doing as simply just knowing God. That's the first step, but then we are called to play a role in the church. Our faith is where we find our purpose, and that informs all the things that we do. Because too often people look at external things, even within the church. Christians look for external things for purpose. Well, if I get this job, I'll be happy. If I get this house, I'll be happy. If I can make this amount of money, when I get married, when I have kids, and they, go to, they do church but I go to church sometimes. It is the opposite. Your relationship with God, your knowledge of God, gives you purpose. And then in everything you do, that purpose is fulfilled. You don't find your purpose and then do church. You find your purpose in relationship with God, 
And you are the church as you go and live into that purpose. So how do you find your purpose? I think a lot of people ask this question. They want to know. It says, I know when I was younger, it was this big thing. Well, what does God want to do in my life? What is the, the purpose of my life? And we, it's like, oh, we wish that God will just send us like a message in a bottle and you unveil it and say, like what Jeremiah got, right? You want what Jeremiah got. I have, before I knew you, I appointed you a prophet to the nations. We want something like that to be so profound, but it really isn't complicated. First, to, know, to find your purpose, you've got to know God. God is not going to give you your purpose before you are in relationship with him. Second, your purpose must fit within your biblical mandate of being a disciple and making disciples. There might be other things you do in your life. You might have roles that you play in your life. You might work in a secular job. Absolutely, most people will work in a secular job. And you might even do good things for people in that job. But primarily, your purpose is going to be, that God gives you is going to be related to becoming a disciple and making disciples. And from there, you should follow as God leads in obedience, in your everyday life. It starts by being obedient in everything that he calls you to do. And from there, God will reveal what he calls us to. And most often, this is through opportunities that are presented to you in knowing God and what he'd have you to do in those moments. You know, it's, it's, it's not though we're just going to go sit in a closet and pray until God reveals something to us. We go and we engage in the world. We are obedient to him. And through that, he reveals what he wants us to do. For most of you in here, major parts of your purpose have already been lined out. You're called to worship God. You're called to learn more about God. You're called to share your faith. If you're married, part of your purpose is to be a spouse in a way that honors God. If you have kids, part of your purpose is to be a parent in a way that honors God. If you have a job, you are, in a, you are to work in a way that honors God. Those are part of your purpose. And if you feel like there is something that God has for you you've not discovered, you need to consider the following. Are you being faithful in those things? Are you being faithful in the things that God has already revealed to you? Are you being obedient to him? You've, you've probably heard the saying before, if, if you feel far from God, who moved? We should seek to be obedient to him in the small things, and then through that we might encounter the larger things that he has for us. And oftentimes your purpose, these bigger things, maybe, that, maybe you're wondering what God is going to do, is going to be where your passions and your gifts align, where they intersect. For example, if you do not like children but you are able to teach, that means maybe you should not teach a children's Sunday school class. Maybe you teach an adult Sunday school class. If you don't like adults, but you can teach, maybe you should not teach an adult Sunday school class. Maybe you should teach a children's Sunday school class. Do you understand what I'm saying here? Your passions and your gifts. Maybe you are a very outgoing person that has never met a stranger. You can help welcome people. You could, you're going to be, maybe excel in evangelism, talking to people. If you're not very outgoing, maybe some of the more behind-the-scenes things. You see these things, but here's the thing, too. God does not always call the equipped, but he equips the called. So what do I mean by that? Sometimes your passions and your gifts right now are not where they're going to be in the future. And sometimes what God's calling you to do, and oftentimes I think what God calls you to do, are things that are hard for you. Or at least part of it is hard for you. 
So he has, I want you to think about that. In your life, how you've developed, how the things that have happened to you have shaped you, and how that has uniquely prepared you for various opportunities in your life. How the hard things you've gone through uniquely equip you to minister to someone else that's gone through a similar hard thing. I knew, I knew a, a very faithful church member in a previous church that they had lost a child. And the pastor knew that at any time there was someone that was going through a similar thing, this person was who they could call to, to help walk them through that. Because, because, not that. because God used a difficult time in their life to equip them to then minister to others in the future. And so you think through the ways God has equipped you already, but sometimes it's going to be that he is going to equip you for the future. So I want to, I want to share a little with you of, of my story of how God has called me. I remember it was a very distinct thing for me. I got that, that thing at, where it was going into my freshman year of high school, and it was God very clearly called me to, to not worry about the, the silly things that I was worried about in my life, but to be worried about the kingdom of God. So I didn't know exactly what that meant, but through year, the years I walk, walked through it, and I, I kind of figured out it had something to do with preaching at some point. So my first two times I preached, one was in youth on a Wednesday night, which we still had like 100 kids there, so it was a lot of people. It was pretty intimidating, and one girl had a, a look on her face. She's like, that's my thinking face, but it made it look like she was mad at me the whole time. Um, and then the second time was on a Sunday morning, and I found out years later, my dad came to me. He said, you know, when you first talked about this, I really didn't know if that was for you because you weren't very good. Um, but you've gotten better. And so I wasn't a good preacher. I'll tell you what, I didn't like public speaking. I didn't like praying in front of my family for dinner. It made me nervous, but God worked in me in that way. My last position I had, if you know, if you know me at all, even still to this day, sometimes I, I'm not the most organized as far as like planning things out to a T. I, throughout school, most of the time, like to do things myself. I was really good at getting things done really quickly. The closer to a deadline, the better I worked, you know. That doesn't work when you work with people. Because my last position, I had to manage all sorts of schedules. I had to work with a lot of volunteers. I had to work with kids. I was not very good with teaching kids. I had to do children's church every Sunday. I had to get good at it. And so God worked in my life to develop me in ways where I was lacking. So just because you're not good at something doesn't mean God won't call you to it. But he's going to develop you as you go. And so through your life, your purpose might change and adapt in ways. Some things are for your lifetime. When you say, I do, now people have changed these vows, but God intends marriage to be to death. I mean, he intends it to be lifelong. Now, that's not to say that if that's not been the case, that there's not hope for you for the future, but that's, it's the, that's the, a part of your purpose at that point. You, you can't stop being a parent. You can't stop being a Christian. You don't retire from being a Christian. But there's some things that are for a season. You know, some people might be, um, they might love to go on mission trips and do manual labor, but guess what? There's going to come a time where you can't do that anymore. There might be people who love to work and play with the kids and, and, and work with them, but there comes a time where you can't do that anymore. And some things are in an instant. God's purpose for you might be to share your faith with that person that you're seeing that you might never see again. You have to be aware of those things. So as your life changes, the way God calls you to serve will likely change. But he never calls you to stop serving him. There is no Christian retirement. As Philippians 1.21 says, to live is Christ. To live is Christ and to die is gain, but there's no, there's no retirement there. To live is Christ. 
And so as we know God, we know our purpose, we should also know that we're not called to do this alone. We are called to know one another. We are called to know one another. We are not built to live in isolation. That is very clear just through the world. Everything we do exists around interacting with people. Everything we do exists with interacting with people. We crave relationship and community. So much that even the, the, the biggest social media apps is all built around interacting with others. Not real interaction in, in many ways, but still, it's not being alone. It's interacting with others. Good relationships make a major difference in our life. And the gospel work, knowing God and the purpose that you have, is not meant to be done in isolation. It is meant to be done together. Our purpose in Christ is meant to be carried out among other believers who are carrying out their purpose. We are called together to come together as a body of believers. And our relationships with one another are founded upon the gospel. Like I said earlier, if, if you were to ask me how I know Jada, I said, well, she's my wife. My relationship with her it stands upon the fact that we're married to one another. If someone were to ask you, how do you know so-and-so? Oh, they're my fishing buddy. What is the thing that you know each other through? Oh, I work with them. If someone is to ask you about your relationship with fellow Christians, it shouldn't be those other things. You might work with them. You might like to fish with them. We are Christian brothers and sisters. That should be the uniting bond. Not that we get along, not that we have these other things that we know each other in Christ. And then our relationship with one another revolves around the gospel, that we're willing to forgive one another, we're willing to interact with one another. And all of this is facilitated through the church. Now, the church is not the building. You know, we call this a church, but the church is the believers that are gathered here today. The word that is used for church in the New Testament is ecclesia, and that translates to the assembly. So when it says that the church was there, it means the assembly. When, he said, when Paul says to the church in Corinth, to the church, it's the assembly of believers that are gathered there. So the church is the body of believers that are gathered here today and then across the world. We also see that the church is called the body of Christ. And Paul uses this comparison in 1 Corinthians 12, 14 through 20. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. For if the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole, being were, the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? Uh, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of, be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. We all play different roles. We all have different purposes that come together to fulfill the global mission of the church, to fulfill the Great Commission. God has designed us and equipped us all in unique ways to play a part as we come together as the body. And like I said, you can't just say, well, because I'm not this person, I'm not as important. Because I don't know how to teach like this person does. Because I don't have the same uh, you know, welcoming spirit. I'm not as good at talking to people as this person. I'm not. No. All parts of the body are important. But here's the thing. You have to make sure you're living into your purpose. Sometimes you might see someone living into their purpose and be like, well, I'm not like that person, but are you living into your purpose? Are you doing what God has called you to do, or are you just being? 
I want, to, I want to talk to you about some of the problems that can afflict the body, more specifically in local parts of the body. But, but you think about it, there are, are some almost more parallels to this part, this, this idea that we could have. There are churches, I think, that are almost spiritual amputees because members of the body are missing. They don't show up. They don't do anything. If they do show up, they don't do anything. So well, that, that's more like spiritual failure. Members are not working as they should. They're there, but they're not playing their part. What happens in our bodies if one of our, our organs starts to not work anymore? Failure, and it doesn't go very well. And I think sometimes, maybe probably maybe one of the worst ones that churches can have is almost like a spiritual autoimmune disease, where the members of the body begin to work against each other instead of with each other. We are called to know God. That's the first thing we must do. We must know God, be in relationship with Him. And when we know God, we are called to know our purpose. But we can't do that alone. But together as the body of Christ, we must know one another. And when the church is filled with people who know God, know their purpose, and live it out together as the body of Christ, that is a healthy church. That is a church that is living into its mission. That is a church that becomes disciples and makes disciples. That is a church that grows. That's what we'll look at next week, is a church that grows. If even one of these aspects is missing, there are major problems. If you know God, but you, but you don't know your purpose, and you do it with others, you know, if you don't know God, but you know your purpose and you do it with others, that's a business. If there's nothing about God, it's just a business. If you know God, but not your purpose, but you come to church, you're just an attender. You're just an attender. You're not doing anything as a part of the body. If you know God and know your purpose, but you don't work with the body, you're a rogue agent, not living into what God's called you to do. All three of these things must be present. So today, my challenge for you as we come to this time of invitation is is for you to move in what God calls you to do. Do you know God this morning? not, Not that you know about him, not that you've heard about him. Do you know him? Do you have a relationship with, you, with him? Have you responded to the gospel, to the work that he has done in Jesus Christ? Have you believed in him, repented of your sins? Do you follow him faithfully? If you don't know God this morning, that is the first step. Nothing else past that matters. Respond to God. Say, I, I want to follow him. I, I, be, I know that I'm a sinner. I believe that Jesus died for me, and I want to follow him with my life. That is the first step. It's not about going to church. It's not about attending. It's not about giving money to the church. It's about whether you have believed in Jesus Christ and what he's done for you. So do you know God this morning? Do you know your purpose? Have you figured out what God wants you to do in this life? Have you figured out how God wants you to follow him in this life? Have you figured out your purpose? You need to seek him in obedience if you haven't. Figure out what God wants you to do. And then are you actively engaged in the body of Christ? Are you engaged in the body? Not just do you, do you come, are you, are you here? Are you engaged? Are you living out your purpose with other believers living out their purpose? One of the, one of the great ways to do that, a step you can take is you can join the church to be a part, to find a way to serve, to plug in, get involved in the body. But wherever we are, my promise to you is that we can always know God in a greater way. We can always live further into our purpose, know more about what God wants us to do. We can also also always work on our knowledge and our relationship with one another. 
So wherever you are, my challenge is that you would move as God leads you. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would be with us this morning, that wherever you would convict us, Lord, that you would move in our lives, that you would help us to see what you call us to do. God, I pray that if anyone does not know you this morning, that today would be the day they would take a step of faith to, to, be, to believe in what you've done and to enter in relationship with you. God, I pray that you would help those who are seeking to know their purpose, what you would have them to do, Lord, that you would just make it clear to them as they live their life what steps they can take to be obedient to you, that you would reveal that purpose to them. Lord, and I pray that you would help us to come together as a body, that we would know one another and be united, seeking to live out our purposes together. I pray that you would convict each of us and move in our lives this morning. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope this sermon has been a blessing to you today. If you have any questions about what you've heard, we would love to hear from you through our church Facebook page, email, or by calling the church office.